Hi, this is Ed from Steel City Coffee House and Brewery in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Live from Steel City podcast. The Live from Steel City podcast is recorded live in front of a studio audience at Steel City Coffee House and Brewery in historic Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, where you can find the best food, coffee, beer, and local live music in the region. Stop in and see us or visit us online at SteelCityCoffeeHouse.com. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Live from Steel City podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Vay, and tonight I'm joined by Ed Simpson, the owner of Steel City. Good evening. Afternoon, morning, actually. It depends on when you're listening to this, I guess, I should say. Uh, today we are with Nathan Alabach, a social media manager, writer, musician, and the creative lead for Steakum Meets at Alabach Communications. He covers internet culture, conspiracy theories, and brand trends on social media. His work has been featured in Adweek, The Wall Street Journal, Vox, New York Magazine, and The Washington Post. He can be found on Twitter at Nathan Alabach. Hey, Nathan, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me, Ed and Sarah. We're so happy that you could come on and chat with us. Um, I can't wait to hear about your career i mean we know you from steel city but um i've been following you and following your career and the stuff you've accomplished is just incredible so first of all just tell everybody a little bit about your background your history making music a little bit about yeah you. yeah yeah sure um trying to think how to how to sum it up right i got into songwriting probably in 20 it's May 2008, I want to say, and uh, thought, you know, like every uh, teenage boy, like, oh, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Like, you have this kind of grandiose idea of uh, what your future might look like. And of course, it didn't pan out that way. Um, I did it for about eight or 10 years, mostly as a hobby. And it just uh, wasn't making money. I was spending money to do it, essentially, to produce albums and to uh, play shows and all that. So I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but I eventually hit the point where I was like, okay, I guess maybe I should, you know, I'm in my mid twenties. I should start focusing on what might make me some money. So, um, I was working an advertising gig at our family agency and this whole opportunity to work on, um, Steakum meets the Steakum meets Twitter account, I guess you'd say, uh, came up and it was, kind of like a weird timing thing where I just had next, I had a lot of spare time at our agency because we were having a really um, like a down summer. We had lost a couple big clients and um, there just wasn't a ton going on. So I ended up being able to use a lot of my free time to uh, work on this account. And over the next several months of working directly with the client, um, just eventually got the account uh, to kind of blow up on Twitter and, and start getting uh, several thousand followers and then it had a couple minor viral moments and uh, the momentum kind of picked up from there so so yeah it was kind of like a weird I guess like my life trajectory like didn't really go it kind of went the opposite way I thought it was going to go I mean I kind of got into my adult life thinking oh I'm going to be some form of artist and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and I had this kind of idea that I didn't want to sell out but then I ended up selling out in the most um I, kind of cliche way <laughs> basically selling advertising so 
it's a it's a it's a weird thing but then yeah then along the way i guess all my other interests kind of came out um in forms of writing and, and doing a lot of freelance contract work so now i kind of i dabble in um writing about politics and conspiracy theory culture and and brands themselves so there's kind of a, a bunch of little things that i i do along the way but that's that's kind of the the main trajectory i have a uh couple questions about the whole stakeum thing um number one like you you it seems that you have quite a bit of leeway as far as the things you can say on that twitter account uh because you obviously cover a lot of topics that have nothing to do with lunch meat or you know <laughs> or, or making a sandwich um have you always had that leeway that creative freedom in that regard or was that something that they was maybe restricted at the beginning and then they after they saw what you could do they kind of said go ahead and run with it or how did that come about you know that's a great question and uh no i did not always have that freedom uh just for i guess for people listening just kind of like set the the table with some context for the account i mean more or less i mean most people know steak um, uh sliced sandwich meat uh mostly known for bean and cheese steaks and, and things like that uh it's a, a pa based company and they're a legacy brand they've been around since the 70s and so most people that know of them they have a kind of like nostalgic memory of what what they are what they were and um they yeah, yeah. And then the company's <laughs> the company's passed hands a few times over the decades. Um, they're currently owned by a family-owned company called Quaker Made Meats, based out of Redden. And so we, our agency, started working them a few years ago, and we didn't. Um, we were doing like a bunch of rebranding, you know, like an older brand, trying to get them to be, you know, more, I guess, in the like up with the times, more or less, and. Twitter as a platform was kind of like a, a vacant, uh, a blank canvas, if you will, where there wasn't a lot going on. We didn't have any followers on it. Um, there was just kind of empty space. But it's it was during a time when there was this weird transition where like now, I think for a lot of brands and even small businesses like Steel City, you know that like Facebook and Instagram, the organic reach on those platforms has diminished so much over the years. And this is around a time, so this is in 2017. So this is around a time when like that was really starting to become apparent with um, advertising on social media platforms. So Twitter, we, we saw that as a platform where it's like, hey, this is pretty much all organically run. And there was we didn't have to invest any dollars into it to, to reach people. So that's kind of like how the initial uh, pitch started. It was kind of like, okay, well, it's a win-win because you know we're gonna experiment with this see where it goes and we don't have to spend any money doing it so worst case scenario it's it's nothing and then we just kind of move on from it um but yeah for like the first few months of me day-to-day -day, uh operating it there was a, a lot of just like minor bumps in the road and you know, just kind of figuring out what what i can say what i shouldn't say the people we should associate with people we shouldn't associate with um just kind of like I don't know, like you kind of things you figure out along the way, just in your day to day life. I mean, I know from even my personal social media accounts, you kind of figure stuff out, you know, like who you want to associate with and, and what you want to say and not say. It's like that just through more of a um, a microscope, I guess, as a, as a national brand, because you, you have a lot more. There's there's higher stakes to it, if you will. So, um, <laughs> I had to go there. yeah, I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, 
so, so that was like, it was probably like, I'd say a six month process to answer your question directly. I'd say of, of getting the sort of trust established where we were just kind of, you know, asking permission on certain forms of content, you know, asking permission on, uh, we're asking for forgiveness, I should say on certain things that we'd make mistakes on, but it was a, uh, it was just a feeling out process with the client. We had a, we had a really good relationship with them and, um, that helped obviously, cause it had to be, <clears throat> had to be pretty transparent along the way, you know? So you obviously have learned a lot about growing a brand online through your experience with growing Statecom's online presence. So with that, what advice can you give for anyone trying to grow their brand, whether it be for art or business or more? Yeah, it's so hard, right? Cause I mean, there's just, there's not really a, um, like a three point solution to like what makes something successful or viral online. It really just depends on who you are as a person or who your brand is, you know, like taking the example of Steel City as a company, you know, like what you would, what you would want to do for a local company is going to be a lot different than what you want to do for like, uh, I don't know, like an stat, like a pop artist who's trying to like reach a certain audience, you know? So I think the, the word authentic gets tossed around a lot in the industry and I hate it because it's just, it's just so watered down that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. But I think um, the meaning behind it still holds true to the, in the sense that you don't want to try to be something that you aren't, um, but you also want to embellish the the best parts of you in a way that um, people are going to be drawn to. So that could just be as simple as, you know, like behind the scenes looks at something, you know, at a venue. It could be uh, storytelling on individual like profiles. And you know, there's, there's um, for example, like Time Magazine does this really well where they uh their entire instagram feed not the whole thing but a lot of their instagram feed is like really high quality um uh, portraits of people and then it kind of goes gives a a deep dive on who they are and where they come from and it'll it might like link to a feature on them or something like that and it's just like a cool like you know you're scrolling by you see this and it's like oh yeah that's interesting like there's like a little snapshot into this person's life sort of like the humans of new york thing you know so i, I think yeah, yeah, it's great. And like, there's so many things like that, where I think you have to really get in the mindset of, you know, you as a consumer, as someone who not, consumes information, you know, you have your Instagram, you have your Twitter, you have your Facebook account, you know, what stops you personally from scrolling? Because we're all scrolling 24 seven, we're all trying to figure out, you know, what, what um, gets the most attention, the most likes and all that. And I think, um, like I said, the, the kind of groundwork is just being yourself, figuring out who you are, what you're good at, and you know, what you can embellish. But then on top of that, you just kind of figure out what's missing, you know, like what, like, if you're a, a local business, you know, what are your competitors doing? And then like, what can you do different from them? You know, if you're a local artist, like, what are your colleagues doing? And what can you do different from them? And it's just, there's not really without like, a kind of like refined, like targeted, um, a conversation, like being like, what do you want to, what do you think about this specific artist? It's hard to like, come up with a formula but like that's the kind of groundwork you want to set and I think a lot of people they they want to try to like boil it down to a formula and it's it's difficult to do but there's just little little things like that along the way like another thing is consistency it's just like you know not maybe maybe it's not literally consistently posting at the same time every day but finding um like a style you know like some for some people that's a filter for some people it's just like a style of content itself like whether it's you post a lot of nature pictures or a lot of selfies or, you know, like maybe it's just text on a screen that's like, uh, like photoshopped in a cool way. So just, yeah, consistency, authenticity, all those buzzwords, but 
but yeah the meaning behind them holds true i think yeah and i think you make a lot of good points about all of the things that you need to know about from a marketing standpoint as an artist or a business or somebody who you know it's not their job they're not a marketer they're not in advertising but now with the way that social media has taken over it's everyone's job to understand social media and it's everyone's job to market yourself and that's where i see a lot of local bands even bigger bands who just don't really know how to market themselves and they're so focused on creating and they want to get their music out there but it all really comes down to social media these days and i think that's a great thing and it's also difficult because you know if you ask like a record label they would probably say that it's a bad thing because bands don't really need labels anymore they can market themselves they can get their content out there but it also kind of created like an oversaturation because everyone can put out music and everyone can promote it. So I think it also created more competition. Yeah. And I think there's just like a really bad overall stigma in any artist community over what advertising and marketing is. Cause like the industries themselves are kind of seen as part of the quote unquote machine. You know, it's like, Oh, like this is, whether it's capitalism or consumerism or, you know, big business or whatever, people have this kind of um, abstract idea of like the system that they don't want to feed into, that they don't want to feel like they're part of. Um, I know I felt like this growing up. I know tons of people still to this day that feel this way where they're, they're purists to, to them, like in, in their mind, like they create art for the sake of art. And like, that's, amazing if you want to just create art for the sake of art but like what you're saying sarah if you want to create art to sell like to make money or to like you know be successful or to get people to care about your music all of these things require marketing to a degree um and it's really it is tough to kind of to, to fi figure out that balance i guess as an artist because it doesn't like you said it doesn't come naturally to uh to most people in in any art artistic background because you're so focused like if you're a really good artist you're, you're probably not focused on all these other like business you know finances like <laughs> all, all the kind of boring stuff hand hand. well and you almost you almost as an artist you almost can't be yeah yeah it's like a left I, left right brain thing or something right yeah as, as as an artist most of the artists who are exceptional are probably committed to their art 24 7 so doing their social media and stuff is, is something that's just out that, that not only is it not something that they have time for but a lot of times it's something that's completely outside their realm of you know of possibilities because i i know a lot of artists that are introverts as well mm -hmm. you know and you have yeah, to, yeah there's, a, there's a there's a personality factor to it as yeah, well yeah i think um, a bit of an extrovert and you got to be willing to let people stand there and watch you kind of thing if you're going to do the social media thing so and it's just, yeah, and it's just a, a lot of it's a mindset toward what your art is and the purpose of it too, because the way, like, I know I have friends who have invested thousands of dollars into recording albums and they've put their whole life, you know, this, this is the thing. I'm so proud of this thing, but then they won't spend 200 bucks to promote it on Facebook. And it's like, <laughs> so what true. do you, yeah, it's just, it's like, what, like, what's the point? Like if no one can hear it, like yeah. if it, because if it, this is what I guess the point I'm getting at is like, if it is just for you, that's great. That's amazing. Good for you. Like I, I've produced um, music in the past that I was just for me and I, and I loved it. 
But if your goal is to get other people to listen, even if it's not even mon monetary, like even if it's literally just, I want people to listen to this and I don't care if I get paid, you still have to market it. And it's really tough to, uh, to instill that in people, like you're saying, Ed, that they spend their whole lives on their craft. And this is a whole nother set of skills which don't really come naturally to people. But you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, Sarah, which is, I think it's becoming more natural as people grow up on social media, they're kind of getting a feel for like what, you know, what sells essentially. But um, yeah, it's, it's still super important. I think, unfortunately, overlooked because it gets uh, kind of demonized in a way in artist communities. When um, did you have a moment with Stakem where you sat back and said, okay, I have arrived. This, this is my moment kind of thing. Did you have? <laughs> um, I personally, I don't know, man. I mean, like, I guess, because there, there's like the way you see yourself and there's the way other people see you. And I don't, I even since the beginning of this whole thing, I thought it was, it's been really cool. It's been an amazing opportunity. I've been thankful for every step of the way. I mean, just the way it's all unfolded has been pretty wild and, and outside of anything I imagined happening in my life but at the same time I don't really think that much about it actually I don't really think about it at all I mean like when when the moments happen like when the big moments happen it's obviously really cool like I mean I've I guess the past three years had about three like major viral moments that were getting written up in like New York Times Wall Street Journal Washington Post all those places and when that's happening like it's really really cool and you're like wow like i'm getting interviewed and i'm featured in these big newspapers or whatever but i don't know like afterward taking a step back it's like remembering oh yeah but it's still like it's all for advertising a frozen meat company so like it's kind of <laughs> like the the two sides to it where like it is really cool and it's a fun conversation topic and i'm thankful for the opportunity and everything that's come with it but i, I don't know like it doesn't really it doesn't feel like arriving necessarily. I mean, I guess to kind of give like the, the cliche answer to what you're saying, it was probably in 2018, I did this um, this viral thread about like from Stakem's account that was just about uh, like the problems with like millennials facing in the US and, and how that kind of like interweaves with advertising online. And that was like the first huge, huge one that I had where it was like, like national headlines and all this and that was definitely like a whoa i didn't think that would happen um with this account at least at that rate so that was probably like the first time i realized like this was a bigger deal than i thought it was going to be initially but yeah i don't know it's not um it's, it's hard to answer that question because i don't really i don't think about it too much that being said though uh what would you say is like the coolest thing that your career has made possible for you oh man that's, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's hard to think of specific things. I think the the thing I'm most thankful for is just that people can I can I be cursed on this podcast or no? Yeah, why not? Uh, no, I won't do it. Uh, but <laughs> that pe that people give a crap about <laughs> what I have to say. That's probably the like the the thing for me. I guess growing up. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a I'm a lot, I'm a, I'm confident. A lot of people would consider me arrogant. You know, I'm, I'm very loud. I'm very talkative. I like being the center of attention. Um, just kind of like a part of my temperament. And, uh, I've never really thought 
too much i never like imagined myself in any kind of like platform to have like a voice or whatever but that is something the account's done which is pretty neat where it's elevated the things i have to say through a brand and then people i respect find me through the brand and are like oh this is the person who has those thoughts and then they like associate that with the way i think so it's kind of it's neat being able to to say things and have people listen which is kind of bizarre because i don't really think i'm that exceptional in, in like in terms of intelligence or whatever i'm just kind of a i've learned to communicate pretty well over the years so that's it's nice having that platform i'd say which i definitely wouldn't have if it wasn't for for the account itself so what advice do you have for somebody who wants to communicate more effectively on social media yeah this is the million dollar question i'd say the 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 phrase i like to use is the only way out of it is through it and i use this phrase because i think a lot of people today they want to disconnect from social media you know they watch that that movie what's it called the uh, the social dilemma like yeah, they watch something like that and then they're just like oh my gosh like social media is terrible like i'm just going to log off forever and, and abandon it and i just don't like obviously i think taking breaks is good it's healthy um you know like taking the space you need is always good but i think for the majority of the population around the world i mean social media is not going away it's only becoming more integrated into our lives and i think the only way to get better at it is just to keep engaging on it um whether that's commenting with people messaging people um looking for content posting content i mean i think it's it's like it's it's a skill you know it's like it's like riding a bike it's like tying your shoes like the more you do it the better you get at it and i think um the problem that most artists and just any experts have whether whether it's a medical professional whether it's like a you know a scientist whether it's an engineer the problem that all experts have is that when you're really really good at your craft like whatever that might be you you put all your focus and energy into that thing and you you know it you think that you know it better than anyone and it becomes really hard to then relate to the average person with what you're doing so i think learning to synthesize complex information in really simple basic ways is the best thing anyone can learn to do i mean it's kind of a joke but like speaking at like a fourth grade level sometimes is like a good starting place like maybe not literally <laughs> I mean, i'm not saying you you're not allowed to use big words but trying to kind of dumb down what it is you do and like what your message is because especially artists i mean you get so abstract so easily you always are thinking like what's the different thing like what's the lyric that no one's using what's the word that no one's put into this poem or whatever and it's not bad to push the boundaries and to do that stuff but if you're not communicating it effectively then no one's listening anyway so i think the only like the tip to give people again trying to do broad brush strokes here is just engaging online and i think a lot of people they i think people on whether it's facebook or twitter instagram not so much cuz it's all pictures and what not but like any platform where you're engaging with thoughts and like putting your ideas out there people surround themselves with other people that think like them and that's good for like forming community and like comfortable relationships and all that but again i think being able to communicate complex messages if that's what you're struggling with as an artist or whatever it's good to like actually test your messaging on people that you're not friends with you know people that don't know you like the kind of mass media approach 
Um, cause that's like how you're going to know if it's really like really effective is if you put it out to a thousand people, how many of those thousand are going to understand it versus if you pick like 10 of your best friends and family, like, of course, they're all going to be like, yeah, that sounds great. Like we love that. So there's definitely, um, a balance <laughs> there. Friends but... or family are going to be like, dude, that, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, or they'll, yeah. Or they'll just be completely useless either way and just be like, well, you're terrible. So yeah. So, but <laughs> Um, Nathan, you have, uh, you have your own podcast. You yes. Podcast? Um, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of just a generalist podcast in the sense that I don't really have a, a specific topic or anything that I, that I run off of. It's, I mean, it's focuses are my focuses. So it's around advertising, politics, comedy, philosophy, whatever I think, or music, you know, like whatever I think is, um, interesting so i hope that's interesting interesting to other people but uh yeah it's similar to this show at least in the sense where it's like loose conversational interviews where it's like you know here's somebody that i i look up to or i admire their work in some way and i want to learn more about them as a person just from like a relationship standpoint and then also kind of a flesh out you know their background and how they uh, go about whatever their expertise is what is it called? Where can we listen to it? It's called uh, What's Really Good with Nathan Hollabach. And uh, I haven't published a new episode since this past January. So I've kind of been on a hiatus with it. But it's uh, it's pretty much anywhere. I mean, it's on Spotify or iTunes or Google Play, wherever people listen. How, how long have you been doing that? How many episodes do you have? I think I had like 65 or something. Um, I was doing it. I think I started in 2018, I think. And um, I slowed down because I started writing a lot more. And it's just really, when you're working full-time, well, more than full-time, it's hard to uh, compartmentalize and figure out what to put your energy toward, you know? And I was trying to put my energy toward way too many things, and I wanted to uh, get better at writing. So I, I shifted my focus a bit and then kind of lost sight of the podcast. But I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to get back into it soon. I, I do a... Um, I do a, a, a thing called streaming. I don't know if you guys, you might be familiar with it. I mean, it's just, uh, I use the platform Twitch to do it, just predominantly a gaming platform, but I mostly just uh, talk with like my community on there. So it's kind of like a live podcast in a way, just a lot more laid back. Um, so I've been doing that the past year, uh, mostly, but one of these times I'll, I'll get back into the podcast. Um, one of the things that I've, that I've definitely been paying attention to uh, lately is uh, some of your, your posts that you've been putting up uh, in regards to uh, misinformation and conspiracy theories online. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm as guilty as the next person in regards to getting sucked into the occasional conspiracy theory. Like, Oh, that, that actually <laughs> sounds like it, it could be like reasonably true. Mm -hmm. uh, what's, what's happening here? Um, how do you, how do you navigate all that? Oh man. Um, pff, look, man, I, <laughs> I, I, I wish that all I'll say is I wish that we could take every person who is 25 and up. So low bar, like pretty much out of college age, 25 and up. I wish we could plant them all back in high school and teach them civics and media literacy and critical thinking for this age, like for the age of social media. Because I think, 
everything like when I look back at what I learned in high school, it means so much of it's dated already. And I think, you know, people, you learn little bits here and there in high school, you know, like how to source papers and, and all that. And that's, it's all good. I mean, it gives you like a, a groundwork for things, but today it's just so tough with social media because there's a million, you can find sources for literally anything. You can find a PhD who believes the earth is flat. You can find a doctor that believes coronavirus is a hoax. Like you can find any expert to back up anything that you believe, any prejudice that you have, any conspiracy theory that you're toying around with in your mind. Well, it's, and... it's e easier now than ever to connect with those people, too. It's it's easier now than ever to find those people, yeah, for sure. there's with a lot of confirmation bias out there. Exactly. Click of a button, you found whatever it is that your, your biases, um, like, kind of preconceive you to think or, or go to. And, yeah, I don't – it's such a huge, 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 huge issue. And I don't, I don't again, like a lot of this stuff, I don't have, like, an easy one, two, three, this is what you got to do. But um, I think I <laughs> – I have kind of like templates I use for people um, as far as just like what they could like a starting point with like tools. I like to tell people that when they're looking for sources of information that they should first use like I think there's five that I, I usually go through where it's like check like what that source's funding is, you know, like where are they like connected with some is a dark billionaire or something you know are they are they funded by are they, is it democratized is it funded by like uh, listeners or consumers etc um so like figure out that figure out who their associations are with whether it's like an individual or an organization you know who do they do work with um what their audience is like a lot of times i'll go to a like a media sources youtube page and look at the comments i'll look at um or an article's comments or like the the sources Twitter feed, like who's replying to their tweets, get a feel for, you know, like who, who are the people that are consuming this information and kind of get a feel for where they might fit on the political spectrum. Um, just things like that, that kind of like give you a broad sense, you know, of like where this source lies, you know, look at the audience, look at the critics, look at the funding, like kind of get a, like a holistic view of um, where the information is coming from. And I, honest to God, I tell people, if you read past headlines and read from like more than one source of information, like you're already so far beyond what most people online do. Like I, I, my, my hope for humanity has sunk to levels. I just didn't know it could sink to the past few months <laughs> with coronavirus. Like I, yeah. and, that, and that's what's really inspired me to get into this whole conspiracy theory beat and just like researching it more to understand like what's going on with people because like you said, Ed, I'm the, I loved conspiracy theories growing up. Like I definitely have a propensity to uh, thinking a lot of just crazy things. It's, it's fun to think about. But the uh, unfortunate reality is in the age of social media that we are surrounded by bad faith actors and grifters and whether it's, you know, companies, whether it's individuals who are preying on people's insecurities and anxieties and and their their doubts essentially to to feed them narratives that end up you know really messing with people's ability to critically think and there's not a once again there's not a three-step solution to it but i think um just getting people to kind of get back to that basic high school level of just being aware of where their sources are coming from is so important 
but again, even, and we, we all know this, like a lot of the, the conspiracy theorists the past few months that have been really ramping up, they, they already believe that the sort of whole system is rigged anyway. So they believe that all credible institutions and experts are, are bought, you know, like they're bought by corporations or the government or, you know, they're, they're working for some deep state or a new world order that's controlling everything. So even sometimes when you give these people the tools to, to kind of like know, like, hey, this is like what uh, defines a credible source this is what's a not credible source. They, they don't care because to them, the whole thing is rigged. So when you're dealing with people who are that kind of um, detached from reality, it's like really, really difficult to have like just a normal conversation because if you if someone makes a claim about like a statistic and it's just patently false and you say hey here's like the government like this is from like the u.s like like bureau of labor statistics like this is what we this is the best information we have on this thing and then they say well that's that's just the government line it's like well how can we have a conversation now if like the government is just lot you think they're lying about literally everything so it's a it's tough it's a tough place to be in online yeah, I would agree that the last few months with everyone staying home led to social media blowing up with a misinformation free-for-all when everyone had nothing else to do but sit online. Um, and more engagement online can definitely be a good thing and a bad thing. So from a brand perspective, did you guys see this increase in engagement as an opportunity? Yeah, yeah. Through Stakem, this is just, again kind of going back to this whole idea of like just kind of marketing 101 just like what are what are your competitors doing what can you do differently uh this is an opportunity for us for i was like you know no one's really like i was seeing a lot of brands doing kind of like bland psas where they'd be like wear a mask and it just kind of comes off this like patronizing like you know psa format which is which is fine and they have their place but it wasn't really something I was that interested in. So I was just trying to figure out, you know, like what needed to be said. And this exact topic that we're talking about was something that I was just constantly thinking about and reading about and trying to just learn more about as I was going on. And that kind of, uh, it presented an opportunity through Stakem where we were, we were writing a lot of content around just, again, nothing groundbreaking, just super rudimentary, like critical thinking, media literacy, 101 just hey like reminder you know just just be like that that meme that you're about to retweet that that viral meme that you're about to like share on your facebook page take a minute and just look up the claim in that meme and just see what comes up like just don't before you knee jerk respond <laughs> and retweet that thing like just see if it's real and that to me is just it's like the only thing at least on a large scale at the time that I could see um, helping. It's just like little reminders here. And then also just trying to not be patronizing about it, which I think is so important. Like with this whole topic, like when people hear the word or the term conspiracy theorist or theory, it's so stigmatized now because it's, in, it's kind of um, inevitably become politicized. So it's really, really hard to have conversations about them without people feeling personally attacked. Like, whoa, like I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like I would never think what those people think. And I think um, that was the other thing that I was trying really hard to navigate through the brand uh, Stakem specifically. It was like, how can we like destigmatize this topic, but also be honest about, you know, what's going on here? Because the last thing, like 
just from talking to friends of mine, I mean, I know if, if you're kind of calling somebody a conspiracy theorist or talking down to them, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, they'll, they'll kind of double down, you know, it has like a backfire effect, basically. And um, then, then you're, you're not helping anything. Because like, I don't really, I'm not in the bit like, as a brand, I guess I kind of am in the business of preaching to the choir, because it's all about audience building. But personally, I'm not really about that. So I'm always trying to think of like, you know, how can we kind of ride that line between we're caught, we'll call out BS, but at the same time, you know, let's not uh, demonize people unnecessarily while we go. And I think that's important because I mean, you said, Sarah, like it, it can be a good thing that people are home, you know, online, like, like looking into things more. The problem is that we have all these bad faith actors that are sowing doubt and discord into the space because they're they're just messing everything up for people because like on its own skepticism is healthy i mean it is really good to like to look at like government institutions or big corporations and say you know what this institution might not have my best interests in mind personally like that's a really healthy human response and i think normal like working class people have had that intuition for thousands of years you know as long as empires have existed you know normal people have been skeptical of what like the rulers have um like it had in mind for like for the better quote unquote betterment of society so it just sucks that that natural instinct to be skeptical is just so hijacked nowadays and it's just depleting it's it's almost like it's super ironic because it's like these conspiracy theorists they claim to be skeptical and they look at themselves like they're they're just skeptics but what they're actually doing is they're being fed misinformation by bad faith actors that's depleting their ability to critically think and they don't realize it like they've just kind of switched sides to like okay like now i don't trust the quote-unquote mainstream media so i'm gonna get all my news from this like fringe blog that tells me what i want to hear <laughs> and they wouldn't lie to me because they're not bought out by big pharma or whatever and then now you're just you're now you're at the whim of whoever runs this blog who's like farming you for clicks basically and it's just it's really it's, it's a sad difficult situation to navigate because it obviously impacts all of our friends and family and we, we watch it happen online and it's hard not to get angry and to like know how to interact with people over it but we're all kind of we're all figuring it out one day at a time i guess like, like i said i wish i wish there was like a, a magic bullet for it but there's there doesn't seem to be Definitely. Who uh, do you have? Uh, does Stakeham have any uh, like Twitter rivals? Do you have any <laughs> like ongoing battles with anybody or anything like that? Nothing serious. We <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry for sorry for popping the mic. Um, a couple, we we've had an on and off little uh, rivalry with Hot Pockets, the brand, because <laughs> that's fun. They're another frozen snack brand, and they're also owned by Nestle, which is the biggest food corporation in the world. Right. So it's like a like a small big dog thing, where like they're a massive, you know, multi million dollar product, and Stakem is like a family owned company based out of Redden. So it's like a it's a fun little you know so punching up thing. It's but... David and Goliath, man. <laughs> yeah, tales old as time. <laughs> But no, we don't, we don't like, we don't start a lot of beef, quote unquote, on Twitter. Uh, sorry, I keep doing it. I'm sorry. But you probably have puns on deck. I hate it. It's, they're, they're, they're integrated into my, how my mind works now. But yeah, I, I try to, I try to build more bridges than I burn through Twitter. Nice. That's, that's big of you, really. 
<laughs> yeah, I, try, I do say try. I'm not. I'm down to sling mud once in a while if it if it if it's appropriate. But <laughs> uh, before we go, uh, Nate, I just wanted to let you know again that we really appreciate you uh, joining us and hanging out and talking with us for a while and sharing your thoughts on some of this stuff. Um, I do have a question that I try to ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and it's your turn for the question. So uh, it's pretty simple, I think. If you could go back in time and give yourself any piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, man. Um, I would probably tell myself to worry less, which sounds like I would not knowing myself younger. I would never listen to myself anyway with that advice, <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's wild. Like when you're younger growing up, I mean, everybody's different. I guess some people, they don't worry enough and other people worry too much. I was definitely somebody growing up that worried, but just an, I was just an anxious person about everything. I had this kind of really dim look <laughs> of my future and, and what the world was like. And I think um, even talking about a lot of this stuff, like the conspiracy theory stuff and misinformation and just how crazy the internet is, it's easy to get in a mindset of being what I like to, what's referred to online is, is a being a doomer or just someone who's like a nihilist essentially. And um, I, I've always had that tendency growing up. And I, if there was some way to communicate to my younger self to be like, listen, it's not as bad as it seems because at any given, I feel like at any given point in history, if you plant somebody wherever, everything is going to feel like it's terrible, except for like a couple of select errors for a couple of select types of people throughout history. You know, it's times are always tough in some way. And in my mind, I guess I've always just kind of overthought everything. And um, that's definitely hindered a lot of my relationships. It's hindered a lot of opportunities that I've had over the years and just like self-confidence, which kind of affects everything so if there was a way to commute i know i wouldn't listen to myself but if That's there was so a way to force myself you, 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 well you've definitely added a new dimension to my question now i'm gonna have to rethink <laughs> probably rephrase the question you know so because i because now that you mention it I, I i never really thought about this but i i could probably say the same exact thing that if i were able to go back in time and talk to my younger self my younger self would probably be like screw you who the hell are you and why should exactly. i believe you <laughs> yeah it's tough that's a, it's like it's like a movie plot right it's like can you really change the course of history i mean i, I don't know it's it gets it gets real philosophical real quick so i don't <laughs> i guess maybe i have to think about about okay so maybe i should rephrase it to be like when would you go back to like what age would you yeah yeah like if, if i could go back like me currently into my body then like what would i do differently yeah because that would definitely um that would definitely change a lot of the trajectory i think if that was the case i probably would have <laughs> it sounds bad i probably would have ditched songwriting earlier honestly and focused <laughs> on other things to try to like really because i think i think for me personally again totally my personal life not i don't uh subscribe this to everybody else but I think art as a whole, like people, people do it for different reasons. And for me personally, I was doing it because I wanted to make it my life in some way. And it clearly wasn't going that direction. I probably did. I did it somewhere around 10 years, but like probably like six years really seriously. And those were like the prime years of my young adulthood. And I had a lot of fun. I made a lot of amazing friends. 
I, I made some music that I'm really proud of. Like, it's, it's not that I regret it in that sense, but at the same time, like, I know so many people who to this day are still kind of like clinging to like, you know, I, I need, I'm going to make it, you know, like I need to, to make it. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but you also have to like hedge your bets at a certain point. Like at a certain point, you got to be thinking of you know, what else could I be doing to kind of prep myself for the rest of my life if this doesn't go the way I want it to go. And it's really, really, really hard to tell an artist or anybody who's really good at anything that because when you're really good at something, you obsess over it. And you know that the only reason you're exceptional is because you obsess over it. So if someone says obsess over that less, it sounds really patronizing and ridiculous because mm -hmm. then you wouldn't be as good as you are at it. But <laughs> I just, yeah, there's just so many things I think I would have been able to prep myself for my professional life better earlier if I had taken them seriously. But I was just so caught in like, this was my whole world. Like even like going to Steel City, like I hosted the open mic at Steel City in 2012 and hosted a couple different local open mics and was constantly, I was touring with like friends, bands and stuff. And it was so fun and I, and I loved all of it, but I made that my entire life when I think in hindsight, there was a certain point that I should have objectively looked at myself and said, okay, this was fun, but I need to like, instead of this being a hundred percent of my free time, this needs to now be like 25%, you know? <laughs> it was sold out at a younger age. Is what yeah. That, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Like at some point I got, I got, I got to get that bag. <laughs> at some point you're like, man, I need to be able to make a car payment. I need to be able to feed yep. myself. There are yep. bills to pay. Yeah. Uh, the the short-term pain for the long-term gain. Cause I was not on that path for a long time. <laughs> Thanks again for taking the time to, to sit and hang out with us, Nate. Um, we definitely hope to uh, visit with you again. Um, do you have, uh, is any of your music out there that we can find online and listen to? Yeah, yeah. My, um, it's, it's in a couple of different places. I would say the, the, the work that I'm most proud of that I think most people like that I did was my album Waste, which is just my, under my name, Nathan Allbach. Uh, you can get it on Spotify. It's on my band camp. I mean, if everything is under my name, so if you t if you search for Nathan Albach, you can find uh, it fairly easily. I did some other projects years ago under a couple of different names. One was uh, Nathan Earl and Rachel Joy. I did a couple albums as well. But um, but yeah, it's it's all out there if people are interested. And yeah, it's it's, it's I think it's all free. So like I think um, like on Bandcamp, it's a pay what you want type of thing. You can just plug in zero for it. Like I'm not. I'm not in the, the business anymore of charging people for it. So if you, if anybody wants it, if it's worth it to anybody, it's out there. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Cool. Thank yeah. You. Thanks for having me guys. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. And, uh, I obviously appreciate what you both do. And, um, steel city's always got a special place in my heart. It's where my wife and I met, um, about a decade ago. So it's, and I, growing up, that was a place that I made a lot of my first uh, community and a lot of, had a lot of my first opportunities with songwriting. So it's, it's a really special place, and I'm, uh, I'm honored to, uh, to be part of it with you guys. Thank you very much, Nathan. We definitely appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, find him on Twitter. Follow that Stakeham account. Uh, it is very good stuff. Uh, and sometimes more than quite humorous uh, as well. So thank you, Nathan, for taking the time to join us. And uh, we hope to talk to you soon, brother. You take care of yourself.
Yeah, you guys too. It's my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Live from Steel City podcast. Stay tuned to our social media for announcements regarding future episodes with inspiring original music and in-depth interviews with some of the best singer-songwriters in the region, as well as public figures and local Pennsylvania business owners. If you are interested in sponsoring the performers and supporting the Live from Steel City podcast or would like more information, please send an email to laura at steelcitycoffeehouse.com. If you are an artist or performer and would like to be featured on the Live from Steel City podcast, please send an email to ed at steelcitycoffeehouse.com. We look forward to entertaining you again soon. In the meantime, pay us a visit at 203 Bridge Street in historic Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, or on the web at steelcitycoffeehouse.com. Until next time, be well and be kind.